iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Subscription to the Times and the Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. All with our award-winning commentary, opinion, and insights. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times now with goals. <laughs> Very good evening. Welcome to the game live from Birmingham. I'm Jim Prowfer here for an evening of informed and passionate football debate. Just imagine if Gab Marcotti had been brought up here in Brum, had some grey hair, take away a bit of the cynicism. Here I am. This evening, we'll touch on some of the big domestic and international topics, as well as a few a little closer to home. For example, why does such a large football-loving region like the West Midlands not host Champions League football every season? How have West Brom thrived despite the loss of Peter Odd and Wingy? Can't work that, can't work that out. To discuss this and much more, please welcome my panel, Times football writer Rory Smith, Times football editor Tony Evans, and our special guest, former Coventry, Villa and England star, Mr Dion Dublin. OK, let's start by talking about the Villa. They're one of the most popular clubs in the country, it says here. Certainly the second most popular in the city. They have consistently underachieved in the Premier League era. I think that, that is fair to say. 20-odd years oh, gosh, into yeah. the Premier League yeah. era, and they haven't hit the heights that they should have done. Yeah, well, they haven't hit the heights no, they did they in the 80s. No, they haven't. Come, come, I signed in 99, I think it was. Jim and... When, even when, hold it a minute. No, we won the Intertoto Cup. Let me get that right. <laughs> <laughs> we won the Intertoto Cup. <laughs> Thank you very much. So I'll get that in, you know. That's my biggest claim to fame in Villa. But since 1999, Villa have really done nothing, achieved nothing, even with Martin O'Neill, um, you know, getting to Wembley, was it twice? Was it two finals? Uh, two, two semis, was it, at Wembley? Was, was it finals? Yeah, just, 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 it's poor for the, for the, for the, for the size of the club. Um, even when I was there, we underachieved. And, and, and it's wrong that Villa are not playing, as you've said uh, uh, earlier, Jim, it's wrong that Villa aren't playing Champions League or even challenging for Champions League places. The size of the club, the size of the fan base, uh, I think it's the players, uh, the owners uh, and the managers that have just underachieved completely. Uh, let's have a show of hands in the audience. How many of you support Villa? So that's uh, what getting on for one in three, something mm. like that. Um, how many of you are satisfied with the start? How many of you Villa fans? Stick, you, still put your hands up again. Now put your hands down if you're satisfied with the start that you've made to the season. 
Okay, so that's most of the hands have gone down. The two that were up looked a little bit embarrassed. And thought, <laughs> oh, I can't be seen as being the only ones that, that aren't happy. Do you think, and Dion, I'll throw this one to you yep. first. Do you think that the club is moving in the right direction at the moment? Uh, at present, I think they are moving in the right direction. I say that because uh, of, the, of the players they have in regards to the age of the players what they're trying to do with their youth academy, which I think is fantastic, started from Kevin McDonald, Tony McAndrew, Sid Cowens. They are doing they are doing the right things in order to take Villa in, in the right direction. I think it's the team that goes out onto the pitch that's underachieving for me. Uh, the players are trying their, their their socks off to make it work. We haven't got enough quality at this present time at Villa in the in the, in the in the big squad of players to contest any other top five or top six uh, team. No way. I, I think the problem is we're seeing it in the here and now. What we've got to do is we've got to look back and see how this developed. Mm. You know, Randy Lerner come into the club and pumped a lot of money into it. For three consecutive transfer windows, Villa were in the top three spenders in Europe. And I'm not a Martin O'Neill fan, but Martin O'Neill did not do a good job there at all. And what I do like about Villa is that they've gone back, they've taken a step back and they've said, you know what, this hasn't worked. Lerner's not going to spend a great deal of money. They're going to let the youth system come through. Last year, they danced on a tight rope. rope sorry, it was. Um, it looks as if they could possibly go down. But you know, they said we've got Paul Lambert. We're going to stick with him. We're going to let the kids come through, and they'll develop, and we'll be better for it. And I think in the long term, it will be. Obviously, it's not very satisfying now. A club like Villa should be bigger. A club like Villa should be, you know, really successful. Ah, and the other problem is, you know, unlike in the early 80s, not enough scouts there, you know, Ransom, just John Gibbon. You, know, you know what, Tony, the, the frustrating thing is, and, I, and, and, I'll, and I'll guarantee that the fans will back me up here, is talking about Villa and talking about, you know, going down. It's, you shouldn't be in the same, in the same sentence. You know, you shouldn't talk about Villa and they've done well to stay up. Last year, they did do well to stay up. Villa doing well to yeah. stay up is an embarrassment. But the, but the, but the, the problem is that what Tony says is right, and I'm, I'm contractually obliged to say that. It's, <laughs> it's written into every time contract that I have to, I have to agree with everything he says. But, and you, t- you kind of want as a fan, even as a neutral, you want to think it's great to see that them looking through the lower leagues, getting young players, bringing kids through. There's some good players there. Westwood's a good player. Mm. Benteke was obviously a big success. Matthew Loughton, the, the right back, yeah. is, is, is excellent. They've got, they've done, they, they have done well. But in the modern Premier League, that is going to take you to what tenth? Because mm. someone else is going to come along mm. and either buy your best players or spend money on other players who are better than the kids that you've got in your first mm. team. And that's the problem. That to me, I agree. I think Villa should be. Villa should be in the top six. Yeah. Top six or t- top seven. There is, there is bigger club as Spurs and Everton, no question. They deserve to be, be up there. The problem is that O'Neill spent all that money. It didn't quite work. He got quite close, to be fair. Mm. And Lerner kind of said, right, well, that's it. Well, yeah, I'm going to cut the tap He, he soured uh, an owner who come in and be prepared to spend. And Lerner's reins it all in now. And, um, and obviously, it's going to be very, very difficult for Villa to get back and compete with you know the, the likes of the top four clubs um, I mean the American owners have a very different vision of how clubs should work to say I don't know Abramovich or uh, Abu Dhabi and it's going to be very difficult for Villa but I do think they're moving in the right direction yeah, I do. they've got one other problem which we might touch on later which affects probably all the, all the parts of the country that aren't London and to an extent it, it doesn't apply to Manchester because of United Football is becoming much more London-centric because that's where the foreign players want to live. It's where the foreign owners want to buy, and it's where all the money is. If you look at Everton, who've done brilliantly well, mm-hmm. they've done what Villa kind of should have done. They've got ten corporate boxes. 
Goodison Park has 10 corporate boxes, whereas Arsenal have got mm. 350,000 or something. And, Mon- <coughs> and Monaco wants to build a stadium that this is comprised only of corporate boxes. And that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're saying that. That's a problem. I don't think it will be so much of a problem. Because the interesting thing is, uh, match day income is going to become a very much smaller proportion of. of general income for football clubs over the next few years it's it's even got smaller now for example Liverpool's owners won't build a new stadium the way Arsenal did because they say it's not worth the expense and frankly all the money's going to come from television the next television deal may well be in the region of three times this deal which is like 5.5 5.5 billion it could go over 15 billion I mean the team that gets relegated as bottom this year will earn 60 million quid which is what City got two years ago for winning the league so so I, I don't think that's going to be that much of a problem Do you think that that Paul Lambert's plan is working? Martin O'Neill and this is a very simplistic view of it obviously Martin O'Neill has gone out and he's bought 30-something players with plenty of experience in international caps and he's paid over the odds for them. Paul Lambert has gone the other way and he's buying loads of guys who are 19, 20, 21 and he's hit absolutely the jackpot with Benteke Mm -hmm. but probably not hit the jackpot with many, Loughton maybe, but with many of the others they haven't really been a success. Yeah, the majority of the others are kind of decent, aren't they? So, is there a happy medium? Do you think Villa at the moment should be looking at a happy medium, bringing some experienced players in and some stellar youngsters? Or is that just an idea? Do you think that's what they are trying to do and they can't do it? It's hard to get the stellar youngsters, though, isn't it? They don't. The stellar, the stellar youngsters, for reasons known only to God himself, go to places like Chelsea and City and sit on the bench and then in three years' time wins that they're not getting first-team football. But he's done that, though, Rory. He's yeah, done no, that no, with Benteke. He, he, he has, and Benteke was a, was a brilliant... Someone told me the other day the story behind Benteke signing. Some, someone, biz- I can't remember who it was. Someone completely bizarre recommended him Benteke. It might have been Wilmots. Ran- Wilmots ran him. He played with Wilmots in Germany. Or I think maybe Wilmots was at Schalke while Lambert was at Dortmund. Wilmots ran him out of the blue and said, sign this, sign this kid. He will score you goals. That, that's it in the jackpot. But as I say, the problem is that the other players are all fine. There's not many bad players there. There's no one I've seen Villa three or four times this season. There's no one you look at and think, God, you're terrible at football. Well, they've had, they've had, Villa have had stellar youngsters. They've had stellar youngsters. Gareth Barry is stellar youngster. Uh, Lee Hendry would have been a stellar youngster if, if coached in the, in the correct yeah, way. Darius Vassell was a, uh, could have been a genius if coached in the right way. Hero in Turkey. Je- yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Surprised he's still alive. You, if you, you can't say, can't, can't criticise him in Turkey. <laughs> um, uh, 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 J. Lord Samuel. Those kind of players. You know, they were. You know, Darren Byfield. They all could have been amazing. So th- they've been doing it for a long time, Villa. They've been bringing the, the, the young players through for a long time. They're the ones I played with. And they, and they were very, very good, talented youngsters, but they just don't seem to, to keep them and bring them through to the first team and stay in the first well, that's team. that's the issue, isn't it? Well, know, as and which, is, which is why I, I don't know. I really don't. Well, as soon as someone like and Barry, Barry stayed for longer than maybe a lot of yeah, people he thought did. he would, but as soon as he becomes a kind of a big name, someone yeah, nicks him, yeah. that's but the problem. But that's all about the management, isn't it? The, yes. You know, and, and I think in Lambert, I'm a Lambert fan, and you know, it's a, I, I, I think he's got the right attitude and he'll get the right sort of mix. I think last year he didn't have enough experienced players to help on the youngsters. Well, I think mm. we're seeing that develop. And I think it's all about management because you know what? And Mourinho always says it. He says there's like a, there's a cigarette paper in terms of talent between the very best and the very worst in the Premier League. And it's about getting them to play for each other. And the, 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 what, what Villa has shown for me, I've only seen them once this year, 
but they played for each other, they're working for each other. And you know, some of those stellar youngsters that we talked about, they don't play for anyone but themselves. Uh, let's go to you guys again in the audience. Uh, is Alex here, Alex Skidmore? You forgot his name. It's been a while. Yeah. Alex, you're Alex, by the way. Alex, yeah, the more difficult questions are coming up, I can assure you. Okay. Um, Alex, uh, thanks for coming tonight. You, you emailed us to, to talk about the recruitment policy down the road at the Baggies, and they've been able to bring in the likes of Sessignon and Amalfitano. Yep. Do you think, you're a Villa fan, I'm guessing. No, I'm a West Bromwich Albion fan. Oh, you're a fan. West Brom fan. Okay, so from <coughs> your, I, from paid your four lofty vantage point, crowing on these Villa fans beneath you, do you do you think that they that your transfer policy is better than Villa's? Um, I think it's pretty obvious that we finished above them for the last couple of years. Suggests that it is, and spent a damn sight less than they have. Um, I you know I agree with some of what the panel have said that um, Lambert's doing an okay job at Villa. But at the end of the day, Lambert's spent probably £20 million pounds the last two summers running, and he's actually not done much better than McLeish did. Granted, the football was better, but I think that West Brom have bought in players who have made an impact, have played probably a better standard of football and finished above them, So, and for substantially less wages and potentially substantially less fees. So I think our, um, our recruitment drive is probably a little bit better. Granted, our players have probably got lower resale values than what Villa have bought in, but that's not the be-all and end-all when the Premier League is set up how it is now, that actually you get money for now, not for the future. Sure, great point. Do you know, do you know what? T Tony's right, obviously, that it is about management. The management manager has to get the best out of the players. And I think Lambert, Lambert I like him as well, I think he's a good manager. Mm -hmm. But there is, there is this myth that, it, that you can't succeed if you don't spend any money at all. You look at Amalfitano at West Brom, who's not even the best player in his family. Does it, is, he, is it Morgan and Alfitano that's at West Brom? Was it Roman? Morgan at West Brom. Morgan at West Brom and Roman's, Roman's at Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. Apparently Roman's the better player. He never plays, but he's meant to be the better player. Morgan was, I, I guess, they kind of ignored him at Marseille and let him go out. But he looks, I mean, looks a world beater. And that, that if you scout well, you don't have to spend a lot. Not, you, you can't get into the top six doing it that way. I, I think that those days are gone. But if you scout well, you can build a good side on not very much money. Here's the problem for West Brom, though. I mean, obviously, I mean, things have changed there um, over the last year or so. People are looking at Steve Clark now. I mean, Fulham, Martin Yell's likely to leave Fulham before too very long. Clark's way up on their list of people they'd like to buy. I mean, people are looking and thinking, well, you know, we can get in there because they haven't got a lot of money. We can take... We can take people. What's off the them? point of managing Fulham? <laughs> <laughs> what are you well, to do at Fulham? They're probably going to pay you more, and you know, and then you know, I mean, it's let's face it, you know, if the um, if the Telegraph come in for you, you you go for more money. <laughs> no, he actually wouldn't. He yeah. actually wouldn't. Yeah. He actually wouldn't because he's already been there. I think, I think I'm very much the David Bentley in that scenario. Yeah. But, no, <laughs> no, but but you know, it's um. In terms of potential, it, it, it's West, West Brom's a difficult sell um, because there's not a great deal of money there. Uh, Jeremy Peace is a, a difficult, um, a, a, a difficult chairman to deal with, and I, I, I think what's going on there is wonderful. I think it, it's absolutely brilliant, but I think it's one of those places where it could it could go wrong pretty quickly. I think I think with with from the outside looking in. I think that the way that West Brom's run is just, it's very much like that. 
it's very steady. Mm. It, there's no there's no fluctuation with the way that they deal with their company, and I, and, uh, and and I think they do it in, in in a way that gets players to play for the for the club rather than for themselves. You know, we mentioned about the young players mm. playing for themselves. They want to play for West Brom. There's very much a togetherness at West Brom, and you can see it on the pitch at the moment. You know, they're not going to pull up trees, uh, West Brom at all, but there's very much a, a togetherness with the club, and it comes from the top. And it's and, it, and I think Steve Clark is is. Is, is doing wonders. They play some great football. And, anyone... I, and I think it's great because I think Villa struggle with that way because Villa are like that. Yeah. And there's no stability at all. That's the mm. difference, I think, between do, Villa and West Brom. Do, does anyone see, I mean, you know, sort of uh, being West Brom fans, did you see Steve Clark being a success? Because I'd you know, obviously seen him as uh, West Ham and uh, as uh, Doug Leach's mm. deputy at uh, Anfield. As a coach, and I didn't, I, Yeah, but I, I, I didn't see them playing the style of football they're playing, which is really good. And the mm. pressing game they mm. play is fantastic. He's what they need, isn't he? He's, he's a proper coach. He's, he's not, that's a, it, that's he's not it. a manager. Rory, I think you're right. That's it. I think as a coach, fantastic. I think he, he knows the game inside out. He's played at the highest level. As a manager, I wasn't too sure about him. But as a coach and as a number two, I think he's done great. And I think players to respond to great coaches. You know? And in, in that model, he doesn't need to do a lot of the managerial stuff because is it Richard Garlick, the, the mm-hmm. guys who plays mm-hmm. that? He takes care of the, of the transfers, the scouting if you coach well, If you coach well, you're a manager anyway. Yeah. If you coach well, you're a manager. Um, Ron Atkinson was the manager at Coventry City when I was there. <coughs> Gordon Strachan was the, was the coach. And we all went to Gordon Strachan for advice. <laughs> ne- never to Ron. Honestly, Ron was a flipping nightmare. He, he, <laughs> he was a nightmare. Gordon Strachan would set out a training session with all the bloody channels like a flipping, you know, flight pad. And Ron Atkinson had run out with his predators on. Remember the old predators that had rubber on? <laughs> so he could bend the ball. Remember them ones? Yeah, yeah. Ron had run out with his predators on. He said, ah, forget that. Don't be doing that. No five side today. Just, just give the ball to me. Give the ball to me. And you think, gaff, hold it a minute. You're about 40 stone. <laughs> You're not very good. <laughs> and we're going to listen to Gordon we're not going to listen to you and that's how it was you know we listen to the coach more than yeah. we did the manager if the coach is good you know they'll get more respect and more response from the player well that's what they always said at Liverpool was that his um, the Clark's training sessions were, were really mm. really good yeah. different every and what, what you'll obviously know quite a lot more about this than me but what a lot of the players said there was that they were different it wasn't the same thing over and over again you get coaches who just do the same the same routines <coughs> the same kind of exercises Hodgson <laughs> come on to that um but with Clark, is, he, he varies it. It's different. They're original. They yeah. makes the players think. So then you go, you go into a training session. You go into a training session on a Monday. You know you've got something. Tuesday you've got something. Wednesday probably off. Thursday, Friday. It's all different. You know? and, and you're right. It keeps the players fresh. What are we doing today? What are we doing today? You know, no one's thinking, oh gosh, it's Thursday. We're going to do keep ball for, for an hour. It's what a nightmare. Then you start to get players. Oh, gaff, I'm a bit tired today. <laughs> Come Friday, they're fit again. You know, that's how, that's I how refuse to believe any footballer ever does that. No, no, no. no, no. Not, no not my shift. Not my shift. <laughs> Let's finish this section with a show of hands from you guys again then. How many of you think that Villa will finish above Albion this season? That's, Dion, your vote doesn't count because obviously you're biased. So, that, so that's, that's half the Villa fans haven't put their hands up there. Well, the four at the back. Come on, lads, get your hands up. Jeez. So that's probably... Oh, thank you very much. That's probably four... Well, that, that's getting on for 5%, no more than that. Everyone else thinks that Albion will finish above. How many think that if Benteke got injured this weekend and didn't kick a ball again for the rest of the season Villa would go down that is that's probably a third I guess do, about do, a third do, do, do you know what people are queuing up to go down Villa way at the back of that queue <clears throat> Well, you've only got one. You've only got one spot. Just Sunderland are appalling. Mm. Yeah, and, Pal- and Palace. Cr- are Crystal worse. Palace. Yeah, 
are slightly better than Sunderland, but seem to be determined to become worse by appointing Tony Pulis. Mm. So those two, those two are down. Yeah. And then you've got one other spot. Villa won't go down. No, Villa won't. No chance. Not this year. Well, they might go down at some point <laughs> in the future. Hi, um, my name's Mark, a West Brom fan. Uh, you mentioned Tony Pulis, and I've got, I've got a query about the Times today. I was reading it on the train. I can't remember the name of the journalist, but it wasn't one of you guys. Gary, Jacob. Gary somebody. Gary Jacob, yeah. Who linked Clark with the Palace job. And I read that, and then he screamed out loud on the train. Why would he do that? Because Clark, he's right. Yeah, he mentioned Steve Clark as a possible candidate for the Palace job. It's in the Times today, page 70. Yeah, well, forward, Roy, sit forward. <laughs> well the, 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 the reason he did that, and, um, and, I, and I was in yesterday, I was in late, uh, but the reason he did that is because he, he was briefed that to their interests in. Um, and obviously, there is an awful lot of interests in him, you know, to, whether he'd go there, he'd have to be criminally insane to go there. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, I, 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 football, it, it's one of those things, it's diffi- one of the difficulties of football journalism. Everyone says, you know, uh, people tweet me all the time and say, oh, you know, oh, the Times transfer stuff is like, um, you know, transfer, this site which rates your transfer success has only got your 30%. Well, that's not what we report. What we report is interest and contact. And there is interest there, and there is undoubtedly contact um, Steve Clark will say no Pulis effectively has been told the job is as if he wants it and I don't know I think it's all mad but you know it's a Rafa Benitez favourite phrase football is a lie yeah I th- I, I, to be fair Gary, Gary knows more people than exist in the world so if, if, <laughs> and it's, this isn't sort of company loyalty if, the amount of times I ring Gary does he does our, our window watch thing in the, sum, in the summer the amount of time you, you, you get someone like an agent or someone rings you and you think Fucking hell, that's, a good, that's a good line gonna, this is going to be the top of window watch he'll be pleased with me I won't get bollocks for the day and you ring Gary and he goes yeah mate I already know <laughs> every single time it's really depressing but I, I, if, if he's written it he'll, he'll, he'll have got s- it from a decent seriously source. I mean this, this is a man who has uh, he once told me and this is about three or four years ago he has 3,000 contacts and he tries to he, he tries to make contact with them all at least once every three months and you're <laughs> like it's, it's lunacy <laughs> but the, the, the one, one of the, the biggest lunatic things of his is you get told things and obviously they're, they're probably not going to happen but people have wishful thinking, mm-hmm. and I think Crystal Palace have a, a bit of wishful thinking there. The one that's maybe worth watching for is Mackay, because I think Mackay is ready to, to d- get out of Cardiff. I think he's actively seeking a way out. <laughs> seeking a way out? <laughs> They're showing him the door. There's a, big, <laughs> there's a big pointing sign there going, Malky, there's the door. <laughs> uh, guys, thank you very much indeed for that. So we'll, we'll come back to uh, talking about Midlands football a little bit later, widen it out away from uh, just Phillip and West Brom. But... Now I want to talk about England. Um, After the euphoria of last week came an instant tabloid storm. So let's have a look back at what happened. How do my esteemed colleagues view the fallout post-qualification? Dion, I'm going to start with you. Is Roy in any way, any shape or form whatever, to blame for his space monkeys joke? Yes. Well, he said it. It was stupid to say it. It was. It was. It was something that uh, that he's he's used before, apparently. But um, it just happened to be to a black person, which just wouldn't, wouldn't have gone down with any wouldn't have gone down well with any black person. But you happen to choose a black person that was offended by it. If he said it to me or or, or, or uh, um, directed it to me, I would have spoke to him. 
you know, it's easy for me to say that. And I'm 44 years old. I'm a senior pro. So, I'm, you know, you know, as a player, it's very different because he's your manager. So if it had happened to me, I would have said, Gaffer, listen, I thought you were a little bit out of order there, Gaffer. But, you know, and that's what should happen to the seniors. The seniors should sort this out. The seniors should actually go to the player. Who is it directed at? Townsend. Townsend. Okay, so the seniors should go to Townsend. Say, listen, I've worked with the Gaffer. I'll come with you. Gaffer, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he'd, he'd have gone, listen, listen, I didn't mean like that. Roy didn't mean that at all. Roy's not a racist at all. He didn't mean it. He said the wrong thing. He said, I didn't mean to say that. And that's it, you know? And I don't think, the racist thing does get on my nerves a lot, to be fair, because people get accused of racism when they're not racist. They, 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 Roy, for instance, is one. I know that Ron Atkinson said it so many times. What about Ron Atkinson on, on that, um, what's that program? That, uh, when they go in the house and all that kind of stuff. Big, Big brother. brother, what about Ron? Oh my gosh. If he had two guns and shot himself in the foot, He'd, he'd have missed. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable, Ron. But he's not a racist. You know, Ron says so many ra racial things, but he's not a racist. Roy, I know, is not a racist. He, he said the wrong thing. He's apologised for it. Move on. You know, let's not make a mountain out of a molehill. You know, we've got a job to do in the World Cup. Let's just kick on. When it comes down to it, you, you can't legislate for what's going to offend an individual and what isn't. I mean, it's not our place to, to say you should be offended by that, you shouldn't be offended mm. by that. But having said that, you can look at the fallout that's come from it and, and it appears to be an indicator of disunity within the England squad. The whole thing has been managed by some of the England players very badly, hasn't it? And there are various theories that all come about and some of them suggest it was not an England player who actually uh, dropped the story I guess we'll never know the truth personally I don't associate monkeys with black people some people do, they're not my sort of people Roy Hodgson is I don't think he's a racist I think he's a bumbling fool at times mm -hmm. um, I think he's a, a reasonably good football manager at times uh, there are legitimate questions to be asked about Roy Hodgson and his attitude to race but they go back to his coaching career beginning which everyone says all his friends say began in Sweden when actually began in apartheid South Africa uh, and that's a legitimate question that should be asked um, but I kind of think it wasn't asked at the right time um, I think what we saw last night in Moscow and what we see mm. frequently in places like Italy and places like behind the, the old Iron Curtain puts the racial problems in the game here into perspective. Mm. We Clearly, there are problems here and there's still problems. The Suarez thing was a big issue. Um, and and I think you go off lightly. Uh, I think the John Terry thing again is. Uh, I think we need to address the fact that players saying they are saying things and doing things to unnerve opponents. If they've got a racial component, we got to get that out of the game. But I think the space monkey thing was one of the most manufactured controversies I've seen in football and one of the worst stories I've seen I, I, I've got to admit and do you know you get really nervy talking about stuff like this and when it, whenever we do it in the studio you can see you better get nervy as well <laughs> 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 but you see even, even Gab, Gab will basically say anything in the world and he, uh, even he tenses up I think the, the, the question I have about Hodgson and the Space Monkey thing is what what on earth was that why not just say give the ball to Townsend yeah, yeah. what is wrong with you <laughs> that's his name why, why do you name. need to give some sort of elaborate story just say Chris pass the ball to Townsend he'd done it enough that's what you get from that's what you get yeah. from he's like he, he rambles he roams and, and let's face it all managers are mad all of them are mad yeah. you know it's a 
the things that go on in dressing rooms, Dion will probably, you know, we, we only get the slightest hints. Dion would know some stories. But the loons, you just got to accept it. But the thing is that, take the, I agree with that. The, the issue is, with, with, with racism, is that, and it's, it's obviously brilliant that, that we're so kind of on it all the time that any sort of hint of it is, is criticised and is addressed and talked about. But... As long as there are racists in the world, there will be racists in football. There will be occasional incidents of racism. It's not football's job to lead the rest of the country. It can be an example, but it's not its job. It's not, it's not football's duty to sort of show the rest of the country the way. It's a, it's, it can be a leader, but it's also a reflection. So you are going to get idiots in crowds who make racist comments. Mm. That's, you, and it, you can't, every single time that happens, you can't be like, and football's got a problem with yeah, racism. And, and, Britain has a problem and, with and racism. And here's my problem. Here's my problem, which what happened last year with Suarez, with Terry. What it did is it gave the closet racist the chance to come out of the co- closet and talk their bile and... And this is where I think in football we need to clamp down on it. We need to stop giving those who are looking for the opportunity to use football uh, something to piggyback on and, 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 and put forward this, you know, the, the, these views. We need to clamp down on it. But also, also the work that's being done is incredible. If you yeah. think about, about yeah, how... I, I know that you de- the, there were the two... There were Suarez and Terry and there were these two high-profile incidents in, in a relatively short space of time. But they were the first two that I can remember for, for, years, for yeah, years, years, years and years and years. And what I mean, to be fair, with Suarez isn't English, and neither is Everett. So I, it's, it's yeah. hard to blame English football I'll for that. I guarantee you, um, and I know this for a fact, there were more racial attacks in my time when I was playing than there is now, behind the scenes, on the training pitch. That never got out. What happened to me when I was at Cambridge United? What happened to me at Cambridge United? And uh, any black person in here, Asian person, knows that if a racial, if something's said in a racial way, we know if they mean it. Simple mm. as that. And it works both ways. It works both ways. Mm. Not black to white, white to black. It doesn't matter. It works both ways. He said it to me when I was at Cambridge United, this player, and he meant it, so I chinned him. <laughs> Fact, I chinned him, right? I chinned him. And then I picked him up, and I said, listen, you bang out the boy. I said, Dan, I'm really sorry. Within, within... Two minutes, that incident was finished, done. We played together the next, next game, and we, we're fine. It, what I'm trying to say, it was done and dusted. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do, because it's not the right thing to do, but it's done and dusted, and it went... These, these have gone on for, for so long. If you went to the FA Commission, you could suggest I could punch a racist initiative. I think that's right. I'm up for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's not, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying we know when somebody means it. Correct. Correct. We know when somebody means it, and I've got so many white mates, um, Far East mates, Asian mates, uh, doesn't matter. We have banter between us with blacks and all the wrong words that we say between us, it's fine. You know, the whites say to me, the Far East people say, it doesn't matter. But when you say it and you mean it, there's a bit of an edge to that. Then then, then, then that's too much. I I, I think we don't give... uh, football in this country enough credit for, for it's moved on I'm, I agree. I'm friends with Clyde Best who played for West Ham at the time he was the only black player in mm. the uh, league yeah. and whole stadiums would be making monkey noises at him and the abuse he took was unbelievable and here we are with, with 30, 35 years on uh, and it's all almost, almost not an issue when manufacturing some of it like last week. Well, and the other thing is in terms of football, I mean I, when was the last time you saw a Premier League team without a black player? 
Well, the best ones have got as many black people as possible. Yeah. <laughs> All the best teams have got loads of black players. Well, no, to be, <laughs> <laughs> this is, no, but it's true. If you look, this is, this is going to get me in loads of trouble. Because you can say it, but I can't say it. If you look at, if you look at Harry Redknapp's, if you look at Harry Redknapp's Portsmouth team, it was, it was a, a load of players that he's brought in from sort of Francophone yeah. Africa yeah. who were beating strong and quick. Because they're the sort of players you need in, in England. Technically excellent. People like Sully Muntari. Yeah, yeah. The be, yeah, the best Premier League teams have... If not a balance, you probably probably yeah half and half. Look at look at white. look at Ron. Look at Ron Atkinson. How many black players did Ron Atkinson sign? You know, Dalian Atkinson, Ian Taylor, mm. all those players. Hugo Ekiog, Smalley, just you know, a lot of them are black players. So we've got to be careful how far we go with this. And I think you're right. I think Tony's bang on. We've 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 come a, a million miles away from where we were. And I think that the the FA and the Premier League and the Football League and uh, and the PFA have done absolute great work. To, to, to get it where it is today. So that, of course, overshadowed what should have been a, a pretty euphoric time for England. Qualified yeah. for the World Cup, playing well in two games. Let's have a look ahead. <laughs> oh, go on, Tony. You're, go on, you're, Tony. you're looking at me with raised eyebrows. Playing well. I mean, playing well by the standards that England have played in the last right. two oh, or three okay. years. Okay. 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 Sit back, so sit back now. <laughs> this was a poor group. This was a really poor group. And even in the last couple of games there were spells where they looked ropey however I've got to say I think there are young players coming through that will give Hudson options come next May and I think England will feel a lot better about itself uh, going into the World Cup notwithstanding the issues that have dogged the qualification process there was a more attacking approach in those last two games through necessity Rory so is this the new England or are we going to go revert back to type with 23 behind the ball no, 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 play for a nil-nil draw against the worst team in the group gonna, they'll, they'll leave Brazil known as the great entertainers definitely that, <laughs> that fits yeah, absolutely that's, that's exactly what I was thinking with, well. Roy, with Roy Hodgson's mm. entire 36 year career in so which we, so he's managed not just Neuchatel Zermatt in Switzerland but two teams in Sweden <laughs> no, so they'll, they'll, I think Tony's right There's a, it, I think the profile of English players is changing it's quite interesting to see why it's changing I think that five aside and, and more street football in less economically well off areas has changed the profile of players the people like Sterling and Zaha are proper street footballers they're, they're, it's all the, and Ravel Morrison's another one all, all, the, all those little tricks and skills and feints and all that I think there is the potential there in a few years' time to have quite an exciting team. I think Hodgson will go, probably rightly, relatively cautious in Brazil. One thing that uh, I criticise England, especially in Ukraine, for the way they play, uh, no one work for each other. It's been a characteristic of England for decades. The best teams work for each other, play for each other. Um, Kyle Walker was left hang hung out to dry by Walcott in Ukraine. Over the last couple of games, they were actually working for each other a bit, and I see that as a positive thing. Mm. So do we look ahead on the basis that no one, no one here expects us to win the World Cup? Oh, what a surprise. No hands <laughs> at all, not even a solitary finger not, raised in the air. This is, a, this is the key thing with England. What counts as success? Does I think, I don't, if you listen, I don't support England. Does I support a Yorkshire independent state? But, I'm Scouse. <laughs> but he's Scouse. I think they get into three quarter-finals in 2002, 2004, 2006 is pretty good. I think that's a decent performance. If you're one of the best eight sides in the world and you only lose on penalties, you kind of have to say, all right, do you know what, we'll take that. No it's matter not, how you got there? No, no not really. Greek, you want to take the 2004 European Championship? I, I think they had players to get further. They did have players to get further, but I think you can't count that as a proper failure. 
So what counts as success for okay, England? Okay, well, let's put it out to the floor. What does count as success for England? If, if England were to get to the quarterfinals, uh, gentlemen, would that be regarded as success? At this point in time, however many months it is beforehand, uh, a show of hands again, please. Who thinks that that would be a successful World Cup campaign? Uh, that is probably what 80 90 yeah. percent but is that, is that is that just because you think England you correctly think England are rubbish uh, sorry what was the question is that because <laughs> <laughs> this is how a lot of my interviews go um, is that does, is that because expectations are lower with England now than they, they were maybe four or five years ago um, it, it's not it, the expectations have been really high over the last few tournaments and the fact that they're low this time doesn't mean that quarterfinals will be acceptable or not acceptable I think ideally for uh, England a, a country of its size and its heritage and prestige I think semi-final would be acceptable to most people and the fact that we've gone out a lot of the time last minute on penalties has just left a sour taste in most people's mouths and I think that's what's causing most of the problem in this country and the press just want to jump all over it. I think, I think, if, I think because of the way uh, how you started this um, topic, Jim, because of the way we have gone about the, uh, qualifying, I think come the World Cup, ex expectation will be back where it normally is. Mm. England can I win the World so. Cup yeah. again. I think we'll so. be exactly back where it is again. We'll be killing ourselves again. Uh, we're not good enough yet. And, and I think Rory's bang on with the players, even Morrison's and the Zaha's. I don't think England are brave enough to change. They're not brave enough to change. I think what it is, they do look to the players like Lampard, Stevie Gerrard, uh, Rio, who I think should be in the squad, by the way. They should be, this is my opinion, they should be in the squad. You need a backbone of quality uh, and leaders and seniors, but you need to have the, have the backbone say, hold it a minute, get Zaha in there, get the young lads in there. Listen, go and do what you've got to do, because we're not going to win it. Be honest, we're not going to win it. Go and show me what you've got. Go and show me what you've got. So there's a case to be made for almost looking ahead and planning for Russia mm. and saying that the young guys who, who really could prove to be the backbone of a team that could be very successful in Russia should be given this chance in Brazil. We know we're not going to win in Brazil. So give them the chance. Take, to, take two or three of the old guard but start building a team now? No, you know what? That's Greg Dyke corporate bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Right, they've got a look to win the next year. You could have just said no. <laughs> right, you know, it's like... He can't, you know, he's not physically capable of it. It's, it's, like, it's like Greg Dyke comes to the FA, oh, the illusion of management, let's set up a commission. Yeah, and let's all talk about it. It's crap and really annoys me. The fact is... You can't tell. Right, the fact is, England have had players that could have done better at World Cups and possibly should have come near to winning World Cups. So, what, Dion's point, one of the problems is about the, the older players, and, and, and I'm talking about Stephen Gerrard, mm. I'm talking about Frank Lampard, I'm talking about um, Wayne Rooney. All of them are very self-centred and want to play their own game. There's been a lack of leadership from them. Hopefully the younger generation will work for each other and will we'll, we'll go further. You don't need to have superstars to win World Cups. It helps. If you've got Maradona, you're laughing. But Maradona was the only superstar in 86. Right, you can win it. It's a tournament. It's a knockout tournament. You can win it by getting the right mindset and getting people really working hard for each other. And England will have an opportunity next summer. And I'm not an England fan. But by God, they sell pay. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. There's no, there's no, I, I can safely say there hasn't been a World Cup winner that hasn't had a superstar. At least two or three superstars. Germany in 1990. No superstars. Maybe Mateus. Maybe Mateus. Well, they, there's one then. So we, they did have one. <laughs> mm. But no, he's, he's not. He's not. He's not a Maradona or a Pele. No, no, uh, no. But you've got, there are players uh, exceptions in a squad. There are always exceptions in a squad of players, and I always say this: the best, the 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 the, the, the good players in a side affect games. The great players can win games. You know, Messi can win games. Um, Pele and, and Revelinos can win games. You know, the, the, everybody's got a great player. Everybody's got a good player. But, but I, I think England have, have had and do have players yeah, I agree. who could stand out like that if they actually won. I mean, the thing is, I don't think Messi will ever win a World Cup because mm. he's not Maradona. Can we uh, remind you of that? You remind me that. July the 14th. You remind me that. Messi is not going to win a World Cup. Argentina aren't good enough. And he's not good enough to lift the rest of them like Maradona in 86. Let's throw it out to the floor again. Hi, um, my name's Hugh and I support uh, a club that's probably far too insignificant for any of you on the top table. I'm a Torquay fan. They won't be too oh, insignificant oh, for me. Uh, I can assure you Memories of uh, playoff, final, playoff semi-final against Torquay as a Shrewsbury Town fan. So, uh, oh, we won that. It's all right. You know, can, you know, can ask your question. I know. I drove there and I drove back as well. Um, isn't part of the problem though with, with, with England that they're riven with um, inadequacy in preparation I mean the under 21s this summer not taking players who could have gone and got valuable tournament experience and then you look at the goalkeeping situation I mean Joe Hart is the best keeper in the world there's no doubt about that but if he gets you know but if he gets injured and he drops a jar of mayonnaise in his toe then he's given no game time what the to chances his, of Joe Hart dropping anything his, his girlfriend might do it uh, but, um, Catching or dropping? They've given they've given no they've given no game time to um to to any of the, the support keepers. So if you've got to bring someone in because of an injury or a suspension, which could happen to a goalkeeper, none of them have got any real um experience. But do you know that's that that is one of the big things with England is well it's kind of two of the big things with England. One is is the complete and utter inability to understand that you don't bring individual you don't use the twenty ones to bring individual players through. You use it to bring an entire team through. That's mm. I, yeah. I I I disagree. I, I think you have to go into a tournament thinking you can win it. The way teams win World Cups, partly with superstars, mm-hmm. having, having a pl- an outstanding mm-hmm. player or two, mm-hmm. or an outstanding, outstanding generation, but it's also by nurturing a team in the same way as you would at a club. You do that by bringing them through the 16s, 17s, 18s, 19s, into the 21s, and then you bring four or five of them into the senior mm-hmm. team so they know how to play with each other they have a pattern of but playing the pro- the problem and they work with each other but the problem has always been having covered a lot of under 21 football that, that you get to a stage where you've got an Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain for instance and Roy Hodgson will say 
I want him. Yeah. And Arsene Wenger will say, well, he certainly isn't going to go yeah. and play for the under-21s no, over the summer. So it's the club managers not, that stop that happening It is partly, but it's not just them. It's, Hodgson shouldn't be calling Oxlade Chamberlain yeah, he shouldn't up. be. He shouldn't be. And, and I, I don't know what you think, Dion, but I, I think that, that like, in, in any world, you've got to progress, you know, and, like, you, you, you move on and you learn. And if you're a kid like Sterling or Oxlade Chamberlain and you're thrown in against the best international defenders... You're gonna find it hard at the under twenty one level. You got you got the, the level below, so you you work your way up. You learn what you have to do, what tricks you have to learn, and you develop. And like and the thing is, the missing a crucial part of development. It's almost like the X factor. You know, you're an unknown one minute, and then suddenly everyone mm. in the country knows your name. You can't cope with the fame. It's it's same with football. You can't cope with dealing with it all. And we've lost sight of letting people grow and develop. I think I think in in the in the fame aspect. Tone, I think what it is on, when you're on the football field, fame goes out the window because you're there to do your job and you're there to, to to contribute your part to the team's performance. That's mm. what you're there to do. Now, when you're on the pitch, I think there's an element of you do need that little bit of experience in regards to young boys need to be coached in a way yeah, so they know more the mechanics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. People, yeah, yeah. yeah, but but there is an element, and there's an argument for a young player going in not knowing what not knowing what failure is like. So they go into a situation where they don't really know who they're playing against. Mm. They don't know what the um, <laughs> how 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 much of a, a big factor it is to, to not play well or to not play well against uh, Lothar Mateus. And they don't fear anybody. They don't know what to expect. They just go and play. Mm. And sometimes we take that out of players. We don't let players just just go and play and just show us what you got. That's why I think Zaha is one of the is one of the most exciting players that we have sat on the bench or in the stand. He's not really getting a chance uh, as yet to show us. Well, he needs to be coached to stop doing so many, you yeah. know, uh, lollipops and leg overs. What Ronaldo done when he arrived at Manchester United? I'm not, I'm not comparing the two, but Ronaldo done it. He got he done it two or three times, too many times. He got he got he got smashed all over the park, and then he thought, hold it a minute, if I keep doing step overs, I'm going to get smashed by the fullback. So what I'll do, I'll do one and cross it, or I'll do one and shoot, and that's what you got to teach him when to do it, where to do it. Well, I mean, Townsend's come in, showed no fear, gone past people, yeah, and he's done brilliant. Yeah. Now the difficult thing is. In the World Cup against the great, the good teams, the mm. really good teams against Germany, just knocking the ball and going past them won't work. He's got to learn a little bit more, yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah. and, um, and that's what you're going to. You suggesting, Tony, that the, the, the lad who plays for Lokomotiv Sofia and Montenegro isn't the best <laughs> left back in the world? Because I think Andros Townsend proved, proved himself against the best. I, I, I think he's probably on par with me. Like <laughs> I, I can at least use the line. <laughs> okay, let's uh, take another question from the from the full. Hi, I'm James. Um, I was just wondering if the panel think uh, Hodgson will be bold enough to take a few young players such as Sterling and Morrison, providing he doesn't mess it up this year. Rory? Ravel Morrison, a month in Brazil. You'd film that, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's no Carl Pilkington, but he's probably not too far short. Um, yeah, I think he probably will, to be honest. I think I'd, I'd, I'd maybe fall between the two, actually. I'd, I'd take people like Lampard and Gerard. I mean, Gerard and Cole will be there on merit. I think Lampard might not go, to be honest. I think he's fading quite quickly all of a sudden, is Lampard. Yeah, I would have thought, and I think he'll go for Carrick, and then Barclay, Barclay will go if he's fit. Um, and then I guess the other one is what, Morrison, or there's a few others. But no, I think he'll take, I've been inclined to say the same. I think you build a team for a, you target either a Euros or a World Cup, and you build the team through, through the tournaments before it. So I'd like to see Morrison there, I'd like to see Barclay there, Zaha. I think Raheem Sterling needs to be taken somewhere and taught how to cross the ball. 
without just fucking flicking it up straight to the goalkeeper. It's incredibly frustrating. The thing about the thing about managers, whether it's international managers or or, or um, Premier League managers, or whatever it is, or team managers, then the thing about it is. You have to know how to manage the individual personality. If you can manage an individual personality, the footballer will look after itself. It's, it's an absolute fact. So Alex done it for 25 years, 26 years, managed the best players in the world. He didn't coach. So Alex can't coach. He's a rubbish coach. <laughs> he left it to Brian Keane and all the best coaches in the world. He just organ- He managed his team of personalities. That's what he'd done. That's why he was so successful. If Roy Hodgson can do the same with Morrison and the Zahars and the Lampards, whoever he picks, if he can actually manage their personality, they'll be fine. You're going you're to get slaughtered in this next book, you know that, don't you, now that you said he can't coach? <laughs> Listen, that's happened many a time before. It won't be a shock. <laughs> well, you know what? If it comes down to uh, Roy Hodgson managing uh, personalities and players, he's a screw. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for uh, your thoughts, everybody, in part one. We're back uh, in a few moments' time, looking at the general malaise of Midlands football, that and much more on its way. Welcome back. More ovations tonight that we know what to do with. Thank you very much indeed for uh, coming back for part two of the game podcast. So, we've talked about the general situation in the West Midlands with Villa and West Brom. But you have to look at the Midlands in general, the East Midlands and the West Midlands together and say that really it is an underperforming part of the world. And I, and I say that as um, kind of a closet Birmingham City fan as well. Blues are having a bad time. Well, it's nice to know I'm not on my own. Um, Blues are having a bad time in the East Midlands. Leicester, Forest, Derby, all struggling as well, having had uh, fantastic spells earlier uh, in the Premier League era. So, an easy question for you, Dion. Why? You know what? I don't really know. Leicester's my hometown, Jim. You know, Leicester's my hometown, and it's just they get so close to the playoffs, and they get so close to getting promotion, and they, they just cannot achieve it. And you look at Forest; the history of Forest is amazing. They can never get there. Uh, it's. I think is the Midlands got more football clubs in in a, such a small area than than, than anywhere else. It's just, uh, Jim. The answer is I don't really know, but I do know that the clubs in the Midlands are big enough to sustain Premier League. Um, Status. Leicester, for instance, was there for years and years and years. Forest has got so much history. Um, obviously, the Villas and the Birminghams are, are more than big enough to be there. But we've, we, again, the whole of the Midlands is underachieved, and I think it's just through lack of um, lack of quality footballer. Too many clubs in a in a short space. Yeah, is it any worse than Manchester? I think Lancashire. Dion's right. There's loads of clubs in the Midlands, but Lancashire might push them close as about fifty <laughs> and about twenty miles <laughs> around there. But no, it is, it's an odd thing. It's an, and I think partly it is because of the, maybe not. It's maybe not so relevant, kind of in the future. But it's, it might be partly to do with the, the lack of kind of economic vibrancy in the Midlands compared to London, which is something that affects the, the entire country. No, I mean you know, like, like you say in Lancashire, the north, the northwest, there's like loads of clubs, but Liverpool and United have risen above it to be global forces, and Liverpool are underachieving now, and like. Yet the, no one in the Midlands has done that. I mean, you know, Villa won the European Cup, which uh, it was a brilliant achievement. But there's never been a Midlands club, uh, well, in in well since probably well in, in memorable history that stamped themselves on the top flight and have won titles. And it's it's a really strange syndrome because 
the the region produces players. It's got loads of fans, and it, it's one of those inexplicable things. I, I don't know. Is there anyone out there who can tell me why? I'd quite like to know why St Andrews is always empty, apart from the fact that that Birmingham were rubbish. <laughs> but, but there's lo- there's loads of rubbish clubs in the Championship. There's loads of rubbish clubs in the Premier League. Who, who, you 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 looked at St Andrews, and it is always looks like there's about fifteen people there. Well, the the, the <laughs> it's drafty. Um, I, mean, I would say at the moment, the situation at Blues isn't indicative of of the general um, situation in the club's history. At the moment, they're underachieving. They've got no money. They've got a bloke in charge of the club that not a single supporter wants to be in charge of the club, and they're unwilling to put you know the hard-earned cash in at the moment, and hoping that things will just sort of tick over until Gianni Palladini or whoever is in a position to buy the club and cast some young sales. And I would like to think it will then improve. It but it be. might not. It might not, because until they get Premier League football, it might still in, look in, half empty all the time. In, interestingly enough, it was a, a couple of years ago, or probably five years ago, when people were still, before the credit crunch, people were still talking about investing in football. I was talking to someone in the city, and they said to me, which teams would you be looking at if you were going to want to take over and you, you know that they're underutilised assets as he said and I said like well you know Cardiff they could be a regional <clears throat> flag bearer I said Birmingham City and unfortunately we've seen they've been targeted by the sort of people that we wish wouldn't come into football it's kind of a lottery the championship you, you could you can chuck 15 million at it and lose and you, you could do what Blackpool did and spend 60 grand and mm. win but but the but the people with the people on the outside can see the potential the same way we can, and they come in and uh, and they're not going to put any money into it. They think it's going to be easy cash, you know. And and everyone thinks football's easy, um, uh, and of, of course they end up taking money out of the club because football's the only business you can ass- asset strip on an annual basis and get away with it, and and it leads to a spiral. And I, I, I fear for Birmingham at the moment. But, you know, it's, this, this region should be way better. I'll tell you what it is, Tony. In my opinion, I, I, look, at, uh, I look at Derby and I look at uh, Leicester. And I'll, I'll put Reading in there because the point I'm trying to make, they're in there as well. But mm. you look at Coventry City. They've all changed their stadiums. Mm. They've all, you know, it might sound stupid, but Highfield Road was a fortress. Rico is empty. Mm. You know, uh, Reading's never full. Derby's never full. You know, it's 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 you you take away the history and, and the passion of the football club, and you do start to lose the fear factor within that club. Then you do get a little bit carried away. Hold it a minute, we're doing okay at Highfield Road. Let's get let's build a bigger stadium, make more money. Uh, they've never filled it once. I tell you, the only time that they filled the Rico is when David Buse had a testimonial against Man United. And, and, that's and, the only time they filled the Rico. And, you know, and, that's for David Buse, and, and rightly so, by the way. But, but I just think you've got to and, live and within the, your the, means. Bon Jovi must have done it. <laughs> Off a stadium. How did he get on? Did he win Bon Jovi? <laughs> bon Jovi always the, win. The mad thing is, Coventry in particular, they were, they, they were like Tottenham at the forefront of the new age of football. They were the first stadiums to go all-seater. You know, it's um, and then the backtracked mm. about eighty-seven, and um, but but kind of they saw the future. That the, um, you know, the Coventry and um, Evan Scholar at Tottenham, they were like the mad prophets of the Premier League, and now the the drunks in the corner, like you know, it's um, just like saying, you know, we we told you, we told you, and you don't listen to them, um, and but 
I, I, I don't understand why the clubs in this region are struggling so badly because the support is quite good. Even at Co- well, Coventry, obviously not now. Yeah. But like, um, you know, you still draw reasonable crowds, and I, I, is it that? And, and I'm asking you this: is is it that you join us the lack of success that people aren't going to match? Anybody got an opinion on that? You look at Coventry being in their worst situation for years and Wolves are down lower than they've been for you know 25 mm. years or so. Is, is it uh, a geographical thing? Is it something to do with this region? Hi, I'm Richie. Um, I'd posit that football, by and large, is a product of society around it, so it's going to mirror the kind of trends that are happening around you. Um, and the Midlands isn't exactly the coolest place in the country to be, so people are going to be... <laughs> <laughs> People are going to be attracted to London, they're going to be attracted to Liverpool and Manchester because of the cultural iconography of those areas. I don't think the Midlands has that, so for the young players coming through today that tend to be attracted towards those kind of things, I don't think they're really areas they want to succeed in. If they're living and working in those areas, they're always looking to other areas that are more attractive that they want to go and work in. And I think that's just a product of society today, really. So what you're saying is once, once HS2 is in, and uh, you know everyone can live in London and come and play in Birmingham. Sorted. And you're telling me the black country's not attractive? Yeah. <laughs> sorry, my yeah, name is Riz. But you grew up in, on, on Scotland Road in Liverpool. You can't exactly say that the. I'm not, I mean, I'm from Birmingham, obviously, but you can't exactly say the North East is a great place to live, really, is it? And they've got Sunderland, you've got Newcastle, you've got Borough, kind of. So. Yeah, but it, that's absolutely true. But the, I think that that's not only a great point that uses the term cultural iconography, which I enjoyed, but <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you look at the, the North East, they've got real problems attracting players. And it's, mm. and it's not just young players, British young players, it's foreigners. Foreigners don't live in the North East because it's, I mean, it's miles from anywhere. And I, I, an Egyptian. When um, Hull signed Gedo, the Egyptian striker, his agent ran me and said, where is Hull? And I said, well, it's kind of near Leeds. And he went, where is Leeds? And I went, well, it's the centre of the universe. And he, <laughs> didn't, he seemed to think that was Cairo. And he said, how far is it from London? And he, I went, well, it's quite, Hull's a long, I mean, it takes ages on the train. And he went, oh, shit, I've told Gedo it's really close. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that goes all the way back, doesn't it, to like uh, 78 when... Um it's helped me if it didn't go blank on his name when the, uh, the Argentine. Oh, the Argentine. No, no, came Tarantini. to uh, no came to to to, to Middlesbrough, and uh, his agent told him it was a suburb of London. But <laughs> <laughs> you're just paying someone forty grand a week, at least from like Egypt or some kind of second division French team living in a, a ghetto. Surely living in Birmingham is better than that. Well, he's going to get <laughs> four, he's going to get forty grand a week playing in London. So you know, that, that, that's, that's the argument is that's the argument. You know, he's going to get he's going to get that kind of money wherever well, he plays. Surely, you know, even the younger people, okay, they might want to go to London, but to play for a professional football club on a decent salary should Absolutely. still be a draw. Yeah, see, well, that's see, an old school thought. It's an old school. You see, I I I don't buy that. I I, I think what 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 affects people and from agents and players I've spoken to is you've got to go somewhere where there is a sense of progression that you'll go forward that you can improve your career and that things will be happening and the feeling I get is outside Villa there's a sense of Villa's moving in the right direction and to a certain extent West Brom there, there hasn't been over the last few years and there isn't now that sense of progression in the Midlands I think what it is as well with the players unfortunately nowadays players are surrounding themselves with some wrong uns 
You know, they, they, they surround themselves with the wrong people that actually tell them that they're better than what they are or go to this football club because it's going to be great for you. It's not going to be great for you. It's going to be great for me because I'm going to get 50 grand in my account and you're going to get 15 grand a week. They're, they're surrounding themselves with the wrong people. Therefore, they're saying to themselves, well, go to that club, go to that. It's not going to work for the player. It only works for the, the agents and the people around them. So I think it's down to the players being incredibly naive and not going somewhere for the football, but going somewhere for the surroundings, which is the wrong thing. And I think you're bang on there. You've got to go, play your football, learn your trade. It's a very old school way of thinking, but you've got to go, learn your trade. 40 grand a week. I wish I, wish I earned 40 grand a week. To be fair, I'd be on about 300 grand a week if I was playing now. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be the highest paid player, by the way, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, back out to the floor. Gentlemen, I'm sorry, I can't even see because of the lights. Your point about why Midlands are underachieving, I think there's two points. One is bad management of the club. So you take Wolves, they were doing okay with Mick McCarthy, they got hammered by Albion, which is a great day from my perspective, <laughs> and, and they sack him, and they, but they've spent their money on building a, a 35,000 seat stadium they didn't need. That's just bad management, and look what happened since then. And then now it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So West Brom had a play called Izzy Brown, not many of you will have heard of it, yeah. I don't think, but um, was on the fringes of the Albion squad. He wants to go to Chelsea. Chelsea come in for him. When is he ever going to play for Chelsea? Mm. That's just a really bad move. But because of because we're in this cycle of sort of you know they're chasing money and the Midlands are underachieving, he goes to Chelsea. A horrendous career move. He'd have been much better staying like Berahino. Hopefully, will stay. So it's almost a, a vicious circle. Then you, you have the, you have this fallow period, which becomes self-perpetuating because no nobody wants to get involved in that. They can't see a way out of it, so it yep. gets worse and worse and worse. But you know the, the the mad thing about players going to clubs where they don't play, they're miserable. There is a myth, and I think Dion will tell you that players are happy to sit on the bench. Have you ever met many players who are happy to sit on the bench? There, there, there aren't players of I know, I know what you mean, Tom, but of my era there aren't players that will do that I mean, no. there's a very small percentage I'm sure that will but there's not a, there's not a lot of players I know of my era that will do that I, I think it's changed now to be fair I think it's changed but, but in my but, era no chance but not that much they're unhappy they're angry their lives are miserable they make loads of money but frankly they make loads of money playing and I think I think Tion's got the point and made a great point. The agents need to point them in the right direction, saying, look, all right, you might be making 20 grand less a week, but in the big picture, it won't matter. You know, it's, um, you need to play. And, and, and I, 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 I feel there's a, a certain movement now back towards that and hopefully people come to Midlands clubs and want to play but they, as for Wolves yeah. Steve Morgan who tried to buy refused to buy Liverpool for um, uh, 85 million because it was uh, he wanted to knock them down by 7 million and it's uh, one of his friends is Christian Perslow uh, that great football um, <laughs> genius the Fernando Torres of football finance no wonder Wolves are screwed <laughs> the thing is about Wolves is that, and that is, is it is absolutely bad management and you can say the same to some extent at Forest Leicester pre the, the tide group mm. King, before King Power Derby before the, the Americans at Derby are quite well thought of and stuff mm. it, it kind of counts on individual levels, Birmingham obviously, but it, it doesn't explain why there is that. There is a, it, it is a pattern that the Mid Midlands clubs are underperforming. It's, t it's too much of a pattern to be and coming I, to I think, I think the most important part is the Midland clubs haven't energised the support basis. So to, play, to play devil's advocate, if you're an agent of a 21-year-old footballer, what you say to him when Chelsea or City or whoever come calling is not going, uh, you'll earn 90 grand a week here, 
you sit on the bench, don't really matter if you play football. What they say is you have to go now because what happens if you get injured in six months' time? Yeah. That money never comes. So they look at them and think. The players, I think, know but that they're taking a risk. But that's agents speak for. You could be on an extra 20 grand a week, which means I could be on an extra three grand yeah, a week. No, the, the, that, that's what the agent is saying. There are it de- is as pure and simple as that. There are definitely, there are obviously agents who do that. There, there are loads of bad agents. There are some good agents, and I think they would but, still there, tell there the players to go. There are more agents than you think. You know what? That, 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 my, the story that I'm going to tell you now is, is absolutely... Um, 100% true and, and it just relates to what you're saying there Rory David Bust um, was injured for three months uh, with a hamstring on the Friday Ron Atkinson said to him listen you've done really well kid you've got yourself fit I'm going to start you on Saturday against Manchester United he said come see me Monday and we'll sort you out a new contract David Bust said yeah no problem at all playing against Man United broke his leg never played against never seen a penny and that's, that's, that's the world that football, football is living. That, that's an old school way of thinking. A new school way of thinking. The agent would have said to the player, hold it, get that contract signed Friday afternoon. Yeah. Let's get this money sorted out just in case you get injured. And, and that's why players need agents. You know, don't just like say agents are, you know, uh, are, are the wrong part of the game. There's, there's a, in American football, the, the, there's, there's a famous uh, uh, saying by one name, a player. He says, every time we say it's a sport, they say it's a business, referring to the owners. Every time we say it's a business, they say it's a sport. Players need protecting, and agents need to protect them, and they should get them the best deal they can. But sometimes the best deal is playing. Uh, you, before we go on, Jim, sorry, I've got to say, I had the best agent ever, a guy called Stuart Marshall. And I'm happy to name him Stevie Gerrard's agent. He is best agent ever. Looked after me incredibly. Look at Stephen Gerrard. Look at Jamie Carragher. Great and, agent. And, and I'll tell you what, people talk about when 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 Stephen wanted to go to Chelsea, and people criticised Struan Marshall and said, "Nah, you know he's driving it all." He didn't. Stephen drove it all, and Struan said, "You stay at Liverpool. It's the best thing for you." Let's completely change tack. Talking of Stephen Gerrard, I understand he's mentioning Fergie's book. Yeah, which, apparently shit. Um, <laughs> it, I saw that as well. Because Joey Barton tweeted it. He said, Fergie, as good as putting cones out as he is as player recognition. Gerrard, shit, <laughs> question mark. So, Fergie's book. Why has he done it now? Is, is this pissing on the Moyes bonfire, for want of a better phrase? That bonfire that's well alike. I'm trying to, I'm tr- to visualise that image. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I'm a bit surprised he didn't wait a little bit longer. Maybe he wanted to hit, get it in, get it out in, it, on the shelves in time for Christmas. That, well, that's the big yeah. Well, to, be, to be fair to him, he's not, he's not gonna he's not gonna lose any money by it, is he? If, if, we're, no. if we're gonna pick on this point, uh, I have to say, Ferguson has some justification. He says he's not world class. He's not world class. However, to compare him to Paul Scholes and saying Scholes was the better player. Scholes is the most overrated player who ever kicked a ball in British football. And you know what? It's like Nasri, Nasri, Nasri tweeted when he retired for the first time, England Zizou. England Zizou! (laughs) You're laughing, comparing Paul Scholes with Zidane. Come on. Do you know what? That's obviously a ludicrous opinion and massively overblown. But (laughs) that is 100% right. Football hipsters you know, believe it. Oh, Paul no, 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 no. Paul Scholes. Paul Scholes was Sammy Lee. 
The, what I would say about Scholes is that Ferguson's logic for saying Gerard isn't world class, and I think there is an argument. There is an argument that Gerard's not world class if you look at what he's done on the world well, he's stage. Not, he's not world class. But surely you know, all the same things apply to Scholes. Scholes never did it for England. Marshall. Well, let's hang on a minute. Let's have a straw poll. So, any Liverpool or Manchester United supporters in here? Okay, you're not allowed to vote, right? Because, let's face it, I know which way you're going to vote. So, of, of the rest of you, with, uh, with footballing affiliations closer to where you're brought up, um, who would vote for Scholes as the better player? I'm voting as well, so that's... Uh, yes, I'm going to have to do a count. And who, uh, who votes for Gerrard? Uh, okay, so, so how many voting for Gerrard? Do you know something? That is dead level. It is, it is. So, but so you know, it, you can, you it's know, a toss of a coin. It's apples and oranges, isn't it? They're different players. But I, I, all I would say, I, I mean, I, I think they're both wonderful footballers, but I, I think the way that Ferguson criticised Gerrard for not having done it at the top level can also be said of Scholes. The less balls Scholes kicks, the greater a player he becomes. That's the same of everybody, though, isn't it? I mean, Gareth, ba- Gareth Barry was England's best ever midfielder when he was injured. Well, someone described Dion to me the other day as, as England's Pele. <laughs> Is this the Pele that plays centre-half for Southampton It cost me a lot of money, to be fair. I'll take it, I'll take it. <laughs> Moisey is not having the best time of it. Is the book going to help him in any shape or form? No. How much damage is it going to cause him, Tony? I think it did little damage because th- there wasn't a great deal in it. It, w- it was a damn squib, really, wasn't it? It's, um, it, it, it was a bit all at all. There's nothing new. It, it gave us a little bit more detail. Um, you know, what we should be asking, and what would be really interesting asking to, uh, Alex Ferguson, is why he um, got into trouble with the owners over Rock of Gibraltar, and then, which basically let um, the Glazers through the door and how he facilitated the Glazers to take 580 million out of the club over his tenure and uh, and run down the squad while uh, United are earning more money than almost any club in the world there there are real serious questions that should be addressed by Ferguson and, and he's a genius his genius has been shown in the last three or four years when with a weakened squad with a substandard squad he's been competitive and won things but by god this spook what a load of old tosh so after that glowing recommendation is anybody actually going to buy it that, that's going on the Amazon review with the <laughs> Tony Evans Four and a half stars. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? Tosh. I mean, and, and this is a man. This is a man in the book. You know, he says he's on the left wing of the Labour Party. Yes, but he'll take a knighthood. You know, because uh, uh, he's against the class system. He sucked everybody in. The guy's an absolute genius, Sir Alex Ferguson. Yeah. As a manager, genius um, for for, for uh, winning what he won with the players he had they, they, they weren't the best I think 92 you know you know, take me out of the, take me out of the score because I wasn't there for long you made the difference not, well if it wasn't for me they wouldn't have bought Eric Cantona let me tell you that I am the catalyst to their success I break my leg they get Cantona the rest is history in between 92 and 94 was possibly, in my opinion, their best squad. 1995, you know, Inces and the Robsons and the Cantonars and the Kanchelskises. They were, they, were, they were untouchable. They were, they were amazing. So what Sir Alex has done now 
is uh, he, he's, he's brought his book out uh, and, he's, and, and what's happening is what he wanted to happen. We're all talking about it in forums. Uh, he's got Keeney on board. He's, you know, there'll be more come out of this. Then we tell you, and all it's going to do is line the gaffer's pockets. What, what, he's very, very clever to do that. You know, it's Gio, what was he like? Be a bestseller. What was he like when you know when you were dealing with? In the, in to, to, to be honest, I, I can't. It's hard for me to, to say a bad word against the manager because mm. he was, to me, he was amazing. I break my leg on well, my. Yeah, he's, a, he's a brilliant manager. Though. Yeah, on my on my old Trafford debut, I break my leg. I don't know. Three weeks later, I'm at home on my own um, doing the 45th jigsaw, I think it was. <laughs> and I've got me, I've got my cast from, from toe to groin. And, and, he, and he knocks on my door and says, "Dear, listen, you know, I just wanted to let you know that um, I'm, I just want to invite you on a, on, a, on a trip, on a European trip." And so he invites me on a European trip. I said, "I get you two seats, dear. No problem at all. You're on crutches, but we we'll just want to take you with us." So he wanted to keep me involved. Come Christmas, knocks on the door, and I brought your present round. He brought my present round, which was towels, by the way, Marks and Spencer's towels. <laughs> so, but you know, he, you know, he's that kind of man. I've, I respect the man so much. The guy's a genius. Ninety-two, uh, when they won the first Premier League, I'd only played eight games. I only started eight games. You need to start ten games to get a Premier League medal. He pulled me aside and said, "Listen, if you hadn't have broken your leg, you'd have made 30, 40 appearances for me. No problem at all. I'm having a medal made for you." Simple as that. So he had a medal made for me. Now, I don't know if you know that the, the, the very first medals, I don't know if you've ever seen one or not, you probably haven't, there's only 60. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sniffing this thing. And it's like, it's, like, it's like a miniature, it's like a miniature Premier League. So you get like a baby Premier League with, your, with the little handles on and all that kind of stuff. And it's got your name on it and all that kind of And he had one made for me, you know. So I was the 60th one that was ever made. So f to me, I can't knock Sir Alex Ferguson any way, shape or form. He's he, great to me. He's a brilliant manager and a class act. Yeah. When dealing with people. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And that's what he does. It's what he does. To deal with Eric Cantona, I don't know if you've ever been in Eric Cantona's company tour. Eric Cantona's about two inches taller than me and broader than me. He's a big old unit, you know, and what a player he was, by the way. And Eric turns up at Mark Hughes' testimonial. Mark Hughes' testimonial, 10 years at Man United. I'll be as quick as I can, Jim. Uh, 10 year testimonial, Man United Celtic, right? At Old Trafford, 50,000 people. This is before they built on top of the 50,000 bolt. So we all turn up. Right, and I'm sat next to Sharpie and I've got Inchi on one side and it's like five minutes until deadline time. We're in the dressing room now, 15,000 Celtic fans waiting for us to come out and uh, 35,000 uh, Man United fans waiting for Eric to turn up. Five minutes and we're thinking, oh God, don't be late, Eric. Don't be late. It's the first testimony, of, first testimony you've been to. We're now in there in all the gear, red shirt, white shirt, uh, red, red shirt, uh, white tie, all that kind of stuff, all the gear. Eric turns up, ripped jeans, white Nike t-shirt, denim jacket collars up <laughs> and white knight trainers that's how he turned up and we thought he's going to go mental but he didn't go mental he did not go mental he had a word in his ear went out had a blinder scored about three and then that was it and he kept Terry on side and if if, 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 if uh, Sharpie would have done that he'd have been sacked oh yeah yeah he'd been sacked two weeks later sorry Jim two weeks later exactly the same scenario Dennis Irwin's testament exactly the same scenario we're sat there waiting, not again, Eric, surely not, no, surely not, surely not. Eric turns up, we're all like that. What's he got on, what's he got on, what's he got on? He turned up immaculately dressed, exactly the same as us. Happy as Larry, no problem at all, white night trainers. <laughs> 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 so what happened, it, it, it got him on side, mm. but Eric, Eric had kept his own yeah. twist well, on things. Uh, just, just what I take from that story is, you were wearing a red shirt and a white tie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, 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 
I wish it was. I got a bit excited. Did you not? <laughs> did you reverse, not reverse, reverse that, please, for the podcast. So yeah. it's, it's a white shirt and a red. Yes, tie. it is. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, 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 Because otherwise that'd be a weird sort of Santa theme. With a beard, yeah, beards as well. Beards and hats. Do you know what? Why did you ask that question? You've ruined my illusions. I dream about that tonight. So on the basis that, that well, your free copy of Sir Alex's book is probably already stopping up, open some door in your house and it's going to be used for anything else. Which sporting autobiographies would you recommend? Uh, Zlatan's is worth reading. You know, it's, uh, but I, I mean, frankly, I, I, I like the American football stuff better. There's some great, great stuff. American sports writing is unbelievable. The, the, there is a, a superb uh, uh, book about the, the LA Raiders written by the doctors. They were the LA Raiders in that time, not the Oakland Raiders in the 80s called Don't Worry, It's Only a Bruise. <laughs> and, and it comes from when um, one, of the, uh, one of the Raiders' wide receivers was knocked out. He's lying on the floor. He said, I can't feel my fingers and my toes. He said, I can't feel anything. And the, the club doctor sat him up and said, Don't Worry, It's Only a Bruise. And those sort of books, they, they, um, the, where Ferguson has avoided the... Um, you know the, the the stories that would like me go oh my god they they are the books to read would be worth looking for uh, and another one um by Deacon Jones called Head Slap uh, an American <laughs> football book uh, I, I wish I could recommend you uh, a, a a football book aside from Zlatan's but most of them are pretty <laughs> damn dull uh, my my book on the eighty three eighty four team Liverpool eighty three eighty four team will be out next year and that <laughs> rocks <laughs> which one of those that you've ghostwritten do you want to plug I, I'd like to plug Champions League Dreams by Rafael Benitez which I think makes the perfect Christmas gift um, <laughs> yeah no I, do you know what? I don't I don't read a lot of autobiograph- football autobiographies um, really? I think there's there's loads of there's loads of fast Fascinating football books that if I mention Tony will shout at me and accuse me of being a hipster. But I think if, if you want, if you really want to read an autobiography, Dennis Bergkamp's is brilliant, Stillness and Speed, that's a really good book. But then there's loads that, that whole kind of canon of football literature, the Jonathan Wilson stuff. I think those the travelodge sort of football stuff is brilliant. I think Paul McGrath um, Paul McGrath's was just in- incredible. But he actually yeah, Paul McGrath actually done a really a ten story paperback as well. Uh, it was just incredible about his journeys to the training ground. I remember Alan Wright, the left back, yeah. the little, little left back. He used to drive Paul McGrath in. <laughs> I know, as a kid as well. Imagine that. <laughs> stop here. So we had to stop at services, and Paul would get a bottle of whatever. And then by the time they got to training, it, the bottle would be finished, and and then he'd have to drive him home, and then he'd have to stop again. You know that that's how it was, and that's how Paul lived his life. But to give you an insight uh, on on what it was like for for Alan Light as a young player driving Paul McGraw in, he just done as he was told, and that's the way Paul lived his life. He had no knees; his knees were shot. In your knees, I don't have any medical people here. Your knees, there's there's, there's you know there's, there's patella tendons and all that stuff. Paul had nothing. Just bone on bone. And he was one of the best players I ever played against. So that's in answer to what you said, Tone. One of the best players I ever played against. Made me look stupid. And I think if he looks carefully in his pocket, I'll still be there. You know, I was speaking to someone the other day who said we were talking about the best central defenders that had been in, in Britain and Madras was the first. Oh, one absolutely. absolutely. He didn't even try. He didn't even think about the game. He just done it so naturally. You know, pissed as well. <laughs> and I think he was when he played against me and he still made me look stupid. Well, reminiscing about a Midlands legend is probably the best way to end tonight's proceedings. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much indeed for coming tonight. Uh, a round of applause as well, please, for Rory, Tony and Dion, the illustrious panel. Yeah.
Don't forget, Jim. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.